0: Chapter Thirteen, Part Three of Nana by Emile Zola, translated by Burton Rascoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirteen, Part Three, but she remembered him with pleasure. They had amused themselves so much together with that idiot La They would never perhaps have thought of being together again if the pleasure of humbugging such a fool had not excited them. It seemed to them so funny. They would embrace each other under his nose they lived the merriest possible life at his expense they would send him on some errand to the other end of paris whenever they wanted to be alone together then when he returned they would make jokes and allusions that he was unable to understand one day incited by the journalist she bet that she would give La Valoise a slap in the face that very evening she did so then continued to beat him finding it amusing and delighted at being able to show what cowards men were she called him her slapping-machine told him to come up and receive his slaps slaps which made her hand quite red because she was not yet accustomed to the exercise La Faloise laughed in his idiotic way with his eyes full of tears this familiarity delighted him he thought it grand you don't know said he one night very excited after receiving a shower of blows you ought to marry me eh shouldn't we make a jolly couple it was not an empty remark he had slyly projected this marriage seized with a mania for astonishing paris nana's husband eh what an effect a rather grand apotheosis but nana snuffed him out in fine style i marry you well if i'd been worried with any such idea i could long ago have found a husband and a man who would be worth twenty such as you my little fellow I have received no end of proposals. Come, reckon them up with me. Philippe, Georges, Foucarmont, Steiner, there's four, without counting the others whom you don't know. They all sing the same chorus. I can't be nice with them without they at once start off singing. Will you marry me? Will you marry me? She was becoming excited. Then she burst out indignantly. Well, no, I won't was i ever made for such a life as that look at me i should no longer be nana if i saddled myself with a husband and besides it's too disgusting and she spat on the ground she hiccoughed with disgust as though she saw all the filth of the earth spreading beneath her one night la falloise disappeared a week later it was stated that he was in the country with his uncle who had a mania for botanizing He mounted his specimens and stood a chance of marrying a cousin who was very ugly and extremely devout. Nana did not weep for him much. She merely said to the count, Well, my little muff, that's another rival the less. You're in high feather today. But he was becoming serious. He wanted to marry me. As he turned pale, she laughingly put her arms round his neck, thrusting each of her cruelties into him with a caress. And it's that which bothers you, isn't it? you can't marry nana whilst they're all trying to get me to marry them you're chafing all alone in your corner it's not possible you must wait till your wife croaks ah if your wife was to croak wouldn't you just hasten to me wouldn't you just throw yourself at my feet and offer me everything all the usual style with sighs and tears and protestations eh darling it would be so nice her voice had become soft she fooled him with an air of ferocious cajolery he deeply moved blushed as he returned her embraces then she cried damn it all to think that i guessed right he has thought of it he's waiting till his wife croaks ah well this is too much he's a bigger scamp than the others miffa had accepted the others now he made it a last point of dignity to remain the master with the servants and the frequenters of the house the man who, giving the most, was the official lover. And his passion became madder than ever. He kept his place by paying, buying even smiles at fabulous prices, often robbed and never receiving his money's worth. But it was like a disease that was devouring him. He could not help suffering from it. When he entered Nana's bedroom, he contented himself with opening the windows for a minute so as to get rid of the odors left by the others. The effluvia of both dark and fair the cigar-smoke the staleness of which nearly suffocated him the room was becoming a public square boots of all kinds were continually being wiped on the threshold and not one was arrested by that bloody mark which barred the entry zoe was greatly worried by that stain merely a tidy girl's mania she was annoyed at always seeing it there her eyes were attracted to it in spite of herself she never entered madame's room without saying it's funny it doesn't go away. Yet a great many people come here. Nana, who had been receiving better news of Georges, then in a state of convalescence at Les Fondettes with his mother, each time made the same reply Ah, well, you must give it time. It's gradually becoming paler beneath the footsteps. And indeed, each one of the gentlemen, Foucarmont, Steiner, Lafaloise, Fauchery, and the others, had carried away a little of the stain on the soles of their boots and mufois who was worried as much as zoe by the mark of blood studied it in spite of himself to read as it were in its rosier and rosier effacement the number of men who passed there he had a secret dread of it always stepping over it through a sudden fear of crushing something living a naked limb lying on the floor then in that room an unconquerable feeling intoxicated him he forgot all the mob of other men who passed through it the mourning that barred the door outside at times in the open air of the street he would shed tears of shame and indignation and swear never to return there and the moment he had passed the threshold he was recaptured he felt his will give way in the warmth of the apartment his flesh penetrated with a perfume overpowered by a voluptuous desire of annihilation he devout and used to the rapturous feelings enkindled by the contemplation of gorgeous shrines experienced exactly the same sensations of a believer as when kneeling in some church he became entranced by the sounds of the organ and the perfume of the incense the woman ruled him with the jealous despotism of a god of anger terrifying him giving him seconds of joy acute as spasms for hours of frightful torments of visions of hell and everlasting damnation it was always the same stutterings the same prayers and the same despondencies especially the same humilities of an accursed creature crushed beneath the mud of his origin the desires of his flesh the requirements of his soul mingled and seemed to rise from the obscure depths of his being like a single blossom of the tree of life he abandoned himself to the power of love and faith whose double lever animates the world And always, in spite of the struggles of his reason, Nana's room filled him with madness. He shiveringly succumbed to the all-powerfulness of her sex, the same as he felt lost before the vast unknown of heaven. Then, when she found him so humble, Nana's triumph became tyrannical. She instinctively had a rage for debasing everything. It was not sufficient for her to destroy things, she polluted them. Her delicate hands left abominable traces behind them they decomposed by their mere touch all that they had broken and he idiot that he was lent himself to this sport with the vague remembrance of saints devoured by lice and who eat what they had voided when she had him in her room with the doors fastened she would feast herself with the sight of man's infamy at first it was merely fun she would give him little slaps and make him do comical things such as lisping like a child repeating ends of sentences say it like me And dash it all, Coco doesn't care. He would be obedient even to imitating her accent. And dash it all, Coco doesn't care. Or she would do the woolly bear on all fours on the fur rugs in her chemise and turning round and round and grunting as though she meant to eat him up. And she would even bite his calves just for fun. Then she would get up and say, Now it's your turn. I bet you won't do the woolly bear as well as me. It was charming she amused him as a bear with her white skin and her golden mane he laughed he also went on all fours he grunted and bit her calves whilst she hopped about pretending to be greatly frightened aren't we stupid eh she would end by saying you've no idea how ugly you look my dear ah well if they could only see you now at the tuileries but these little games soon took an ugly turn it wasn't through cruelty on her part for she still remained a good-natured girl it was like a breath of madness which passed and increased little by little in the closed room a lewdness seemed to possess them and inspire them with the delirious imaginations of the flesh the old devout frights of their night of wakefulness had now turned into a thirst for bestiality a mania for going on all fours for grunting and biting then one day as he was doing the woolly bear she pushed him so roughly that he fell against a piece of furniture and she broke out into an involuntary laugh as she saw a bump on his forehead from that time having already acquired a taste for it by her experiment on la falloise she treated him as an animal goaded him and pursued him with kicks gee up gee up you're the horse Ha! gee dirty jade move along quicker than that at other times he was a dog She would throw her scented handkerchief to the other end of the room, and he had to go and pick it up with his teeth, crawling along on his hands and knees. Fetch it, Caesar! I'll give you the stick if you're not quick! Good dog, Caesar! Pretty obedient fellow! Now beg! And he delighted in his baseness and relished the enjoyment of being a brute. He aspired at falling still lower. He would cry out, Hit harder! Bow wow! I'm mad! Hit away! she was seized with a caprice she insisted on his coming one evening arrayed in his gorgeous chamberlain's costume then she laughed and ridiculed him when she had him in his court dress with the sword and the hat and the white breeches and the scarlet cloth dress-coat bedizened with gold and the symbolical key hanging over the left-hand tail this key especially amused her and filled her with a mad fancy for filthy explanations always laughing and carried away by a disrespect for greatness and by the delight of vilifying it beneath the official pomp of that costume she shook him and pinched him and kept exclaiming hey get along you chamberlain ending by accompanying her words with kicks behind and she heartily meant those kicks for the tuileries for the majesty of the imperial court throning herself on high over the fear and the prostration of all that was what she thought of society it was her revenge an unconscious family grudge bequeathed with the blood then the chamberlain having undressed his coat spread out on the floor she cried to him to jump and he jumped she cried to him to spit and he spat she cried to him to walk over the gold over the eagles over the decorations and he walked slap bang there was nothing left all had collapsed she demolished a chamberlain as easily as she broke a scent bottle or a comfit box and she turned him into a lump of filth, a heap of mud at a street corner. The goldsmiths, however, had not kept their word. The bedstead was not delivered until towards the middle of January. Mufa at the time was in Normandy, where he had gone to sell a last remnant of the wreck. He was not expected back until two days later, but having settled his business, he hastened his return, and without even calling at the Rue Miraminille, he went to the Avenue de Villiers. Ten o'clock was striking as he had a key of a little door opening on to the rue cardinet he entered without being noticed upstairs in the parlor zoe who was dusting some bronzes was struck with amazement and not knowing how to detain him began telling him a long story about m who in a most agitated state of mind had been seeking him since the day before that he had already called there twice and implored her to send the count at once to him if he came to madame's first mufat listened to her without understanding anything of the rigmarole then he noticed her confusion and seized suddenly with a jealous rage of which he no longer thought himself capable he rushed against the door of the bedroom from whence issued sounds of laughter the door gave way and flew open whilst zoe retired shrugging her shoulders so much the worse as madame was going mad madame must get out of the mess by herself and mufat on the threshold uttered a cry at the sight before him my god my god the newly decorated room was resplendent in its regal luxury silver buttons strewed the tea rose velvet hangings with shining stars it was the rosy colour of flesh which illuminates the sky on fine nights when venus sparkles at the horizon on the light background of the expiring day whilst the cords of gold hanging down at the corners the gold lace framing the panels were like bright flames or loose switches of red hair half covering the great nudity of the room the voluptuous paleness of which they enriched then opposite was the golden silver bedstead which shone with the new brightness of its chasings a throne large enough for nana to stretch the royalty of her naked limbs an altar of a byzantine richness worthy of the all-powerfulness of her sex and on which at this very moment she displayed it uncovered and in the religious immodesty of a dreaded idol and near her beneath the snowy reflection of her bosom in the midst of her goddess-like triumph sprawled a shameful and decrepit object a comical and lamentable ruin the marquis de chouard in his nightshirt. the count joined his hands seized with a great fit of trembling he repeated my god my god it was for the marquis de choir that the golden roses of the boat flowered bunches of golden roses blooming amidst the golden foliage it was for him that the cupids dancing in a circle against the silver trellis leant forward with a laugh of amorous sauciness and it was for him that the fawn at his feet uncovered the sleeping nymph wearied with voluptuousness that figure of night copied from nana's celebrated nudity even to the too amply developed thighs which would cause every one to recognize her thrown there like a piece of human rubbish corrupted and shattered by sixty years of debauchery the marquis appeared as a corner of a charnel-house surrounded by the glory of the woman's dazzling flesh when he saw the door open he raised himself up seized with the fright of a paralytic old man this last night of licentiousness had smitten him with imbecility. He had fallen into his second childhood, and no longer able to find his words, half paralyzed, stuttering, shivering, he remained in an attitude of flight, his nightshirt rucked up over his skeleton of a body, one leg outside the clothes, a poor, livid leg covered with gray hairs. Nana, in spite of her annoyance, could not help laughing. Lie down, get under the clothes, said she pushing him back and covering him with the sheet like some bit of dirt one does not wish to be seen. And she ran to close the door. She had really no luck with her little muff. He was always putting in an appearance at an awkward moment. And why, too, did he go off to seek for money in Normandy? The old fellow had brought her four thousand francs, and she had let him have his way. She pushed the door to again and cried, "'So much the worse. It's all your fault. That's not the way to enter a room.' there that'll do good-bye stood in front of that closed door utterly crushed by what he had just seen his fit of trembling increased a trembling which ascended from his legs to his chest and to his head then like a tree caught in the hurricane he staggered and fell on his knees cracking in all his limbs and despairingly holding out his hands he muttered it is too much oh god it is too much he had accepted everything but he could no longer bear it he felt himself without strength in that darkness where man succumbs with his reason with an extraordinary outburst holding high his joined hands he sought heaven he called on god oh no i will not oh come to me my god help me or rather let me die oh no not that man my god it is ended take me carry me off that i may no longer see that i may no longer feel oh i belong to thee my god our father which art in heaven and he continued burning with faith and an ardent prayer came from his lips but some one touched him on the shoulder he raised his eyes it was Monsieur veneau surprised at finding him praying before that closed door then as though god himself had replied to his appeal he threw himself into the little old man's arms at last he could weep he sobbed and kept repeating my brother my brother all his suffering humanity found relief in this cry he bathed m veneau's face with his tears he kissed him uttering disconnected sentences oh my brother how i suffer you alone are left to me my brother take me away for oh for mercy's sake take me away then m venot pressed him to his bosom he called him his brother also but he had another blow to deal him since the previous day he had been seeking him to tell him that the countess sabine had crowned her follies by eloping with a young man employed at a large linen draper's a frightful scandal of which all paris was already gossiping seeing him under the influence of such a religious exaltation he thought the moment a favourable one and told him at once what had occurred that flatly tragical end in which his house was foundering the count was not affected in the least his wife had gone off that was nothing to him he would see about it later on and again giving way to his anguish looking at the door the walls the ceiling in a terrified manner he could do no more than utter these imploring words take me away i can bear it no longer take me away m veneau took him off like a child from that time he was his entirely Mufa once more returned to the strict duties of religion his life was blasted he had resigned his chamberlain's office in accordance with the desire of the offended modesty of the tuileries his daughter estelle had commenced an action against him to recover a sum of sixty thousand francs left her by an aunt and which she ought to have received at the time of her marriage ruined and living very moderately with the remnants of his great fortune he allowed himself to be finished little by little by the countess who devoured the leavings nana had disdained sabine corrupted by that woman's promiscuousness incited to extremes became the final sapper the very canker of the home after various adventures she had returned and he had taken her back in the resignation of christian pardon she accompanied him like his living shame but he becoming more and more indifferent ended by no longer suffering from such things heaven had rescued him from the arms of women to place him again in the very arms of god it was a religious prolongation of nana's voluptuous pleasures with the stutterings the prayers and the despondencies the humilities of an accursed creature crushed beneath the mud of his origin in the dark corners of churches his knees chilled by the cold stones he found again his enjoyments of former days the spasms of his muscles and the delicious perturbations of his intelligence in the same atonement of the obscure requirements of his being the night of the rupture mignon called at the avenue de villiers he had got accustomed to faucherie he had ended by discovering a thousand advantages in the presence of a husband at his wife's he left to him all the little cares of the home relied on him for an act of supervision and used the money that came from his dramatic successes for the daily expenses of the household and as on the other hand faucherie behaved very reasonably never indulging in any ridiculous jealousy but being as accommodating as Mignon himself with regard to the opportunities rose had the two men got on together better than ever delighted with their association so fertile in every kind of happiness and each one making his nest beside the other in a home where neither of them any longer stood on ceremony it was regulated it worked very well they rivalled each other in their exertions for the common felicity it just happened that Mignon had called, by Fauchy's advice, to see if he could not entice away Nana's maid, whose wonderful intelligence the journalist had fully appreciated. Rose was in great distress. For a month past, she had had to put up with inexperienced girls who caused her continual embarrassments. As Zoe admitted him, he pushed her at once into the dining-room. At the first word, she smiled. It was impossible she was leaving madame she was about to set up in business on her own account and she added with an air of discreet vanity that every day she was receiving proposals all the ladies wanted her madame blanche had offered her a bridge of gold to get her back zoe was going to acquire old tricon's business an old project which she had nursed for a long while an ambition to realize a fortune in which she was about to invest her savings she was full of great ideas she dreamed of enlarging the concern of taking a mansion and collecting in it every pleasure it was for this that she had even tried to get hold of satin a little blockhead who was now dying in the hospital she had so ruined her health mignon having persisted in his offer mentioning the risks one runs in business zoe without explaining herself as to the nature of her projected establishment contented herself with saying with a satisfied smile just as though she had taken a confectioner's shop oh affairs of luxury always succeed you see i have been so long with the others that now i wish the others to be with me and a ferocious feeling made her curl her lip she would at last be madame she would have at her feet for the sum of a few louis those women whose slops she had been emptying for fifteen years past mignon wished to see nana and zoe left him for a minute after saying that madame had passed a very unpleasant day he had only called there once he did not know the house at all the dining-room with its gobelin tapestry its sideboard and its silver plate amazed him he familiarly opened the doors and visited the drawing-room and the winter garden and then returned to the hall and this excessive luxury the gilded furniture the silks and the velvets filled him little by little with an admiration which caused his heart to bump when zoe came downstairs to fetch him she offered to show him the other rooms the bedroom the dressing-room then in the bedroom mignon's heart almost burst he was excited to the highest point of enthusiasm that confounded nana astounded him he who was not easily surprised at anything in the midst of the downfall of the establishment of the waste and the massacring gallop of the servants there was a pile of ridges which stopped up the holes and covered the ruins and mignon in the face of that magisterial monument recalled many great works he had seen near marseilles he had been shown an aqueduct the stone arches of which spanned an abyss a cyclopean work which had cost millions and ten years of struggle at cherbourg he had seen the new harbour in course of construction a gigantic undertaking hundreds of men sweating in the sunshine machines filling the sea with huge masses of rock erecting a wall where at times workmen were squashed to a bloody pulp but all that seemed small to him now nana exalted him far more and in contemplating her work he experienced once again that sensation of respect experienced by him one night at an entertainment in a chateau which a sugar refiner had had built a palace the royal splendour of which had been paid for by one single thing sugar she had paid with something different a bit of fun at which one laughed a little of her delicate nudity it was with this shameful and yet so mighty a nothing the power of which excited the world that all alone without workmen without machinery invented by engineers she had shaken paris and built up that fortune beneath which dead bodies were slumbering ah damn it all what a tool exclaimed mignon enraptured and with a return of personal gratitude nana little by little had become very sorrowful at first the meeting of the marquis and the count had thrown her into a nervous fever accompanied by a slight touch of gaiety then the thought of the old fellow who had gone off in a cab half dead and of her poor muff whom she would never see again after having so often vexed him brought about the beginning of a sentimental melancholy after this she had got quite angry on hearing of satin's illness the girl had disappeared a fortnight before and was now gradually dying at the lariboisire hospital madame robert having put her into such a frightful state as she was ordering a carriage to go and see the little baggage once more zoe had quietly given her a week's notice to leave that threw her into despair it seemed as though she was losing one of her family and she implored zoe to remain the latter highly flattered by madame's grief ended by kissing her to show that there was no ill feeling at parting she was obliged to go the heart was silent when business was in question but that day was a day of worries nana thoroughly disgusted no longer thinking of going out was wandering about her parlour when La Bordette, who had come to tell her of some magnificent lace to be had at a bargain, mentioned between two other phrases about nothing at all that Georges was dead, she turned icy cold, zizi dead she cried, and her glance by an involuntary movement sought the pink stain on the carpet. But it had vanished at last. The footsteps had worn it away. La Bordette, however, gave her some particulars; one did not know exactly how it happened some talked of a wound having opened others told the story of a suicide a plunge into one of the fountains at les fondettes nana kept repeating dead dead then she burst into sobs and relieved her feelings pent up since the morning it was an infinite sadness something profound and immense which overwhelmed her la bordette having tried to console her about georges she waved her hand to make him desist and said in broken tones It's not only him. It's all. It's everything. I'm very unhappy. Oh, I know. They'll again say that I'm an abominable woman. That mother who is weeping there, and that poor man who was moaning this morning at my door, and the others who are all ruined after having squandered their sous with me. That's right. Give it to Nana. Give it to the beast. Oh, I've a broad back. I can hear them as though I was there that dirty strumpet who entices everyone, who clears out some and kills the others who causes pain to no end of people she was forced to interrupt herself suffocated by her tears she had fallen in her anguish across a sofa with her head buried in a cushion the misfortunes she felt around her those miseries that she had caused enveloped her in a warm and continuous flow of sensibility and her voice became lost in the plaintive accents of a little girl oh i suffer oh i suffer i cannot it's stifling me it's too hard not to be understood to see every one put themselves against you because they're the strongest yet when one has nothing to reproach oneself with when one has a free conscience well no well no her anger changed to indignation she got up wiped her eyes and paced agitatedly about the room well no they may say what they like it isn't my fault am i cruel i give all i have i wouldn't hurt a fly it's they yes it's they i never wanted to be unpleasant to any of them and they were always hanging about my skirts and now they croak or beg and all pretend to be in despair then stopping in front of la bordette and tapping him on the shoulder she continued come now you were there speak the truth was it i who led them on weren't there always a dozen exerting themselves to invent something more abominable than the others they disgusted me i held myself aloof so as not to follow in their wake i was afraid here's an instance they all wanted to marry me a nice idea eh Yes, my dear fellow, I might have been twenty times a baroness or a countess if I had consented. Well I refused, because I was reasonable. Ah, I preserved them from many detestable actions and many crimes. They would have stolen, murdered, killed father and mother. I had but to say a word, and I didn't say it. Today you see my reward. It's like that Dagonet whom I got married. A half starved wretch whose position I made after keeping him for nothing for weeks together yesterday i met him he turned away his head well go to the devil pig i'm not so foul as you are she was walking about again she violently banged her fist down on a small round table damn it all it's not just society is badly constructed the women are abused when it's the men who are entirely to blame they expect such things Listen, I can tell you now: in all I've ever had to do with men, well, I never had the least pleasure. No, not the least. They always bored me, on my word of honor. So I ask you now, if there's any fault of mine in all this? Ah, yes, they almost badgered me out of my life. Without them, my dear fellow, and what they've made me, I should be now in a convent praying, for I've always been religious and hang em after all if they have left their money and their skin it's their own fault i've nothing to do with it of course said la bordette convinced zoe ushered in mignon nana received him smiling she had had a good cry but now it was over he complimented her on her abode still warmed with enthusiasm but she soon let him see that she had had enough of her mansion now she was dreaming of something else she would get rid of it all one fine day then as he mentioned as a pretext for his visit a benefit performance to be given for old busk who was tied to his chair by an attack of paralysis she expressed a great deal of sorrow and took two boxes zoe however having said that the carriage was waiting she asked for her bonnet and as she tied the strings she related the story of poor satin's mishap then added i'm off to the hospital no one ever loved me as she did ah one is quite right in accusing men of having no hearts who knows she's perhaps dead already all the same i shall ask to see her i must kiss her once more la bordette and mignon smiled she was no longer sad she smiled also for those two did not count they could understand and they both admired her in a thoughtful silence as she finished buttoning her gloves she alone stood erect in the midst of the piled-up wealth of her mansion with a crowd of men trampled beneath her feet like those antique monsters whose dreaded domain was covered with bones she trod on skulls and catastrophe surrounded her vandeuve's furious conflagration the melancholy of Foucarmont drowned in the china seas the collapse of steiner now forced to live as an honest man the satisfied imbecility of la falloise and the tragic downfall of the Muffas. and Georges's white corpse watched over by philippe discharged from prison the day before her work of ruin and death was accomplished the fly that had taken its flight from the filth of the slumps carrying with it the ferment of social decay had poisoned these men merely by touching them it was good it was just she had avenged her people the rogues and the vagabonds from whom she sprang And whilst in a halo her sex ascended and shone on her scattered victims like a rising sun lighting up a field of carnage, she retained her unconsciousness of a superb beast, ignorant of her work, always good natured. She remained big and plump, with beautiful health and unalloyed gaiety, but all that no longer counted. Her mansion seemed to her idiotic, it was so small and full of a heap of furniture which was always in her way. A mere nothing, she only wanted to commence again she dreamed too of something better and she went off in a gorgeous costume to kiss satin a last time clean solid looking quite new as though she had never been in use chapter thirteen